0: Hello and welcome to The Work of Art, a series of conversations that challenge the accepted idea of how and why artists build a career. In the UK, the median income that an artist makes from their work is less than £10,000 each year, yet thousands manage to live and work in Europe's most expensive city while sustaining a career and often raising a family too. But no two artists are the same. Their ideas of success differ widely with art being made for public or commercial galleries, in communities, on commission, via residencies and in a myriad of other ways. What helps and hinders them is often highly personal, coloured by circumstance and motivation, but what joins them is an ongoing critical dialogue with their peers and audiences. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to six artists about the decisions they make to balance the competing demands on their time and try to find out what artists really do all day. My name is Russell Martin and I'm an artist as well as the Programme Manager for ArtQuest. And today I'm talking with Barbie Asante, an artist working in London. Hello, Hi, Barbie. Hi,
1: hello. hello. Thank you very to much. For, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you.
0: Yes, the, uh, the conversation we're having today is taking place in Barbie's studio in Brixton. Just before we started this recording, we were having a conversation around the regeneration mm-hmm. of the area, mm-hmm. which is, which is in full force right now. And uh, you were referring to an article in The Guardian about the idea that artists are in some way the agents of their own destruction and downfall in being the beginning part of that regeneration Mm -hmm. process. Um, So I wondered if you had anything.
1: Yeah, I think I I read that article and I just thought there's something going a bit awry here. Having lived, I've lived in Brixton for quite a long time, very long time, and artists lived Brixton for a really long time I mean the Brixton art gallery that was here um, I, I did an, a project about an archive project about it and it was here in the 80s 81 um, you know squatted gallery um, you know ca- coming together of all these kind of disparate artist groups um, there was two carpets arches and they're now the carpet shops but the two arches in in, in Brixton um, that they took over and, and you know Continue to do exhibitions there and connecting with people and activism. And um, artists were not bothered about work, living in places that weren't a little bit unsafe. I remember collecting a story um, from, as part of Anchor and Magnet of, um, from a woman who went to Croydon Art College in the 80s. And she lived on, I think they're four blocks, they're so part of a, a sort of Loughborough Junction way. They are based on a kind of Corbusier design. But they were went into disrepair, and they were really hard to let properties. And loads of artists moved into a hard to let properties. I mean, these were properties there were squats and drug addicts in, and people weren't going to live in those areas.
0: But, but I, I wonder also if it's partly to do. You, you mentioned that you started in as a community artist. Mm. Um, there's two things I wanted to ask you about that. Do you still think you are a community artist? Do you still see yourself in that I, way? And, I, and the other, sorry, the other bit was. In what way has that community building yeah. made, it, made Brixton, for example, more of a target for gentrification and regeneration? Because yeah. suddenly there is this much nicer community of yeah. people who are interacting with each other in a completely different way. Has, do you think that that has had some effect on the regeneration impulses in the area?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, I think so. I think... <clears throat> I don't know if I necessarily see myself as a community artist or as part of a community. An artist that is part of a community, because I don't think of artists being outside of it. You know, they're not. It's not. It's not anything that's happening to this community is affecting me as well. I'm not some sort of outsider who's just going to like paint it from the outside. And I wonder about this idea that um, you wouldn't intervene. I mean from being involved in some, sort of, some of the kind of local activism, particularly around the market, it just seemed to me just logical to start working with the community in a kind of creative way. I'm, I haven't said yet, but also I'm a curator, and I sort of fell into that by accident through working at 198 Contemporary Arts and Learning, and that is an art space that sprung up through a kind of community process post the 1985 riots in Brixton, and as a kind of way of having, um, I suppose, a dialogue with the, with the neighbourhood around its voice, really. So, um, but I do think the other thing is about it, you're right in the sense that people do like those things, they get attracted to those things that artists bring to spaces. I mean Peckham more so with the car park and you know, and then also I just recent there's been a recent thing here uh, with the shops under being under threat of closure from Network Rail, and I know exactly what that was like because my previous studio was two studios have been in railway arches, and so they've always been this negotiation around, you know, they want to get rid of it, especially since it's really changed, and they think, well, you know, gosh, we can do. It's the same thing that we've done in Waterloo or in Shoreditch with the with the railway arches and get more rent, they're like you know always under threat. That's recently happened to the shops, and um, I, there's a, there's a street art thing happening there where they're painting all the um, the shutters. So at night time they were it's 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 campaign related, but there's all these artists profiling themselves and. I thought, oh, that's a really good idea at first. Now I thought, actually, you know, there's loads of press about this. This becomes a street art gallery and this sort of is going to, it's kind of So it's kind of,
0: it's it's been co-opted back by the regeneration. Well,
1: it will be because Mm. if you look at the Shoreditch um, street art tours...
0: Yeah, I saw one the other day, actually. I was walking through Shoreditch and there was a guy going around talking about the graffiti and... Yeah, uh-huh. which I'd never seen before. It's, yeah, it's, yeah.
1: It, it sort of becomes part. It starts to become part of that. I mean, there's been a few other things that've been happening here, a few performances and stuff. That's uh, sort of performance actions outside Foxtons and things like that. But they get a lot of press now, isn't it? And the the press sort of sends that out, and it and actually it sort of becomes attractive.
0: That that is, uh, for me, that's always been quite a bugbear of of how the press. Represent artists whenever I, uh, if, I if I open the, one of the newspapers on the tube in the morning, the only art stories are, uh, that are ever there are things like, you know, someone who's recreated the Mona Lisa in burnt toast or something, or someone who's made it. I saw one the other day that was someone who'd made a life-size model of Benedict Cumberbatch in chocolate. Oh, really? Uh, and those are the only art stories. It's either that or it's protest. Mm. That seems to be the only, in the media, that seems to be the only mm. two poles of art that are happening. And then, of course, there's the criticism and the reviews. Oh, and,
1: of course, the things that sell for, like, you know, secondary market stuff that yes. sells for really nice yes. So,
0: the, uh, so the, the story is how much money this thing is sold for. Um, so what, what, were your, what were your original motivations to becoming an artist um, uh, an artist in the abstract and then when you got into this community artist phase what was it that motivated you into that?
1: I think what motivated me into being an artist was probably the same thing that probably lots of um, sort of 15 year olds think about. It's like you know you're quite good at it really. Um, I didn't know that I could be an artist at 15. Why I used not? To, um, I didn't see any uh, kind of representation of that possibility. 15 I think even you know in art what we were looking at didn't actually represent anything that kind of looked a bit like me or you know or from voices that were kind of like mine Well, um, we looked at a lot of men you know we looked at a lot of French men <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? and um, I think then the first time I ever went to gallery I went to see David Hockney's exhibition and it was really really I think it was Tate really like, quite nice, but then I was just like, oh, swimming pools in Los Angeles, that's really nothing. And, and and I got into, at first I got into fashion, I think I was, when I was from probably when I was about ten, I used to make my own clothes and, you know, destroy them much to my mother's distress. Um, and I got really into uh, magazines like ID and um, The Face and Blitz, I used to buy them and cut them up and you know, that would give me my kind of ideas of being, of, of creative of fashion. And then I kind of eventually sort of moved, no, no, I'm going to be into textiles. And and then um, just through, uh, and I kind of picked up photography as well, and was particularly good at that, um, as well as continuing with drawing, and I kind of got a thing into, of life drawing. So it was all sort of just that gathering of practices, really. And um, when I went on my foundation... I really thought I was going to do textiles and I was really into weaving and I was really, I used to go to the hand weaver studio and I was into like, big looms and, you know, and I was into making looms and things. I had a really interesting experience on my foundation, which was, I just, I think I discovered something which I later found out was kind of live art performance and so I said I wanted to do fine art to my tutors after the sort of three months probation and they said to me no you can't and they said why and they were like well we think you're really good at um surface pattern design they said and I was like okay. which is not
0: something I would at all associate with your work and now no in at all slightest. and I'm like
1: going uh, but okay so I was interested in textiles when I came here but I was doing weaving so how does weaving kind of fit with surface pattern design Okay. So what about sculpture? And I was like, well, oh, have you seen my sculpture? I mean, I was terrible at sculpture. I could not put three things together. You know, I mean, I can't, I can't work in that sort of solid form at all. So they put me on probation, allowed me to go into fine art, and I had the, the tutor who was called Ruth, who was for the naughty kids and the dyslexic kids. And, um,
0: and were you either naughty or dyslexic? No,
1: um, no I wasn't. And, um, but... You know, they gave us a real gift, because Ruth was amazing. And we all used to collaborate on stuff. So maybe this is the a, a beginning of the starting of understanding, working together and collaboration. So she had this amazing space in, um, near Shad Thames, near um, Commercial Street, sort of around there. Um, sort of an old warehouse, big, massive space. And she just invited us, she used to invite us over and she would say, oh, so and going to make it work, so you all come over and we're going to make it together. And so we learned to collaborate quite early on. And then I went to um, UAL for my BA, and I was in time-based media. And we were just encouraged to work together, and because you're making films and stuff, and sometimes you need people. We were just, we'd just we make collab- collaborative animations and so So stuff. are you
0: saying that... Work, for example, working on a film or on a collaborative project in, in an artist studio, for you is the same or similar in many ways, yeah. or in some ways, to working in a community yeah. context where you're still working with those people.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, because we translated that into, on my BA, we also did do um, community practice, because basically at UAL at the time, there was um, Housewatch and we had John Smith. And you know they were all involved in the uh, the A13 protest and making work around that, and so we had a sort of sense of something like that, and that being related. Um, I think it did feed a quality of um, of 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 collaborativeness Um, because I don't look at it as kind of a I don't look at my practices now as sort of a doing too; it's a collaboration. I suppose over the years, I've been kind of co-opted into conversations around socially engaged practice, participation. It's been co-opted by big organisations.
0: It's been co-opted often into education strands strands and education programmes.
1: And, yeah, it's got big questions around it, you know, about authorship and positionality and all of those kind of stuff, things. And um, I just think that it, it suddenly, for me, just... It kind of clicked that I kind of almost had to counter some of this stuff because it it was kind of sanitizing it, and it was also kind of um, not really letting for these kind of organic relationships so often
0: yeah because it makes it, often in a kind of education context it's people are participants they come and participate mm. in something that's been set up by the artist mm. who is the the author um, so it makes it a very and it makes up quite a hierarchical relationship, yeah. I suppose.
1: I mean, it's difficult to get out of. I mean, my most recent project, um, Baldwin's Nigger Reloaded, which was um, presented at Innova, a very intrinsic part of the project was considering these questions of someone who, who works um, with people, often working with young people, and I'm like, well, what am I doing this for? But I, I'm kind of interested in the fact that if you're working with people, they sort of become part of something which actually gives them benefit. Um, And more and more recently I've been thinking about how I kind of write this up because I think it's um, it's really interesting to think about those relationships with people that you work with. And that's not to take away with the fact that they also have a bit of a thing where they say, well, yeah, you look after it. Um, It's kind of a process, and my process is also thinking about how I work with people mm-hmm. and how I work with people in a kind of in a way that allows for certain kinds of risk but also certain kinds of respect
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. so I just want to tie a little bit down more about this motivational thing what motivates you to work in this way so there's, mm. there's kind of the, the, there was the experience of working at art school working with different groups of people mm. in collaborative uh, groups and that that sort of translated quite naturally, you said, yeah. to a, kind of a more community context yeah. of, of working with people who weren't artists and who didn't go to yeah. art school or weren't at art school. And I guess I'm just interested in what makes that mode of work interesting for you. Firstly,
1: I think I haven't added the necessity in that um, when I started making, when I started working, say, with Emergency Exit Arts. I graduated, I was pregnant with, a, with my daughter and, um, you know, I, I, I was lucky working in community arts because I got paid to do, you know, to, to, to make, make things with Emergency Exit and then I worked with the Vietnamese Mental Health Project and then I went to work at the Photographer's Gallery and quickly graduated into working on the schools programme with Fiona Bailey. But what I think you know I, I really wanted to start thinking about how how do I make work that kind of speaks to the people that i 'm speaking to you know i 'm seeing on an everyday basis and having a dialogue with, but also um as i 've been going through my process there's been like two diversity initiatives that just to me um, and I really want to swear here, but i can't <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're they're rubbish, basically, and they just kind of reinvent the wheel because it doesn't get into a kind of root, and in a way, I see my practice a bit of a as a, of an investigation i mean I describe the work that I make, which is is about place and identity, and it is, it explores um multicultural and cult- cross cultural dialogue as a way of uh, i suppose mining investigating where we are that's what i'm doing Mm -hmm. essentially
0: so there's an importance to a wider community in terms of um well would you say it's in terms of the practice is the important bit or the work is the important bit is that too artificial a, a distinction it's
1: too difficult distinction it's too difficult a distinction to make it's um it's it's kind of all of it, and and they all vary in various different degrees. And you know, I, I make no illusions that actually having relationships with galleries is not important. It is important, but as much as that is important, it's also important to have a, um, a relationship with the street. It started really early on, having a you know, going to art school and having a dialogue with people who were just telling me where I should be, and what kind of work I should I should be making. And, you know, these stories don't go away, they're continuing. I've spoken to many artists who are still having these things. It's like, bringing out your, bring out your African culture, or, you know, and you're like, I, I live in the UK and I've <laughs> been here, I was born here, this is my place, you know. So uh, I'm really kind of keen on that kind of, on those kinds of voices, on those kind of dialogues and, and implicating people in, in those conversations. It's funny here... Um, it was a show that I didn't show at the showroom in 2002 called Journey into the East. And um, in that exhibition, I, actually, the, it came out of dialogues really, I was having with the curators, with Kirsty and Andy at the time. And we tended to have our dialogues. And I, for me, it was a really big thing. I was going back to East London. I was at university in East London. I'd spent much of my time. With my small child in South London, I was going back to East London, and I was just marveling at all these changes that were happening in the way that I was going there. and And we'd be doing this over cups of tea, and I just, like, all right, I'm going to turn your gallery into a tea room. And it just came to me to kind of um, think about the community that was moving in, because this was a lot. This is a lot of artists, and asking those artists to invite me for tea, and I'd film their tea rituals. I mean, it was very, very sort of... I was very young at the time, so... But I was kind of interested in looking at that idea of a space... Actually, in in reflection, on reflection, I was thinking about a post-colonial relationship with a a, a, a thing, a foodstuff, tea. But on reflection, thinking about it, and it goes back to our conversation about artists and regeneration. There were all these artists moving to East London at that time... So we've also got this um, this conversation that's happening with all these artists and arts professionals. While I was also visiting various different places and writing notes on the changes, so there was the you know, DLR and places were being built and whatever in East London. Um, so there was all this sort of narrative starting to happen there, and that's quite early on in my oh, I don't know collaborative, socially engaged, dialogic, whatever it is <laughs> that I do um and so, but to reflect on it, I think there were some really interesting questions coming out, or really interesting ideas that I was exploring mm-hmm. that I really probably didn 't know was were happening then
0: mm-hmm. um, I wonder if we could move on to talking about some more of the nuts and bolts Oh yes okay. things <coughs> uh, because uh, I mentioned in the introduction to this conversation. That uh, the median income that an artist mm. earns from <laughs> their work in London is, uh, or in the UK rather, is um, under ten thousand yeah. pounds a year, which is well below the minimum wage.
1: Yeah,
0: is that something that resonates with yeah. You, that you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, clearly, it's impossible to live in London on that little money. So, where else? What other kind of activities do you I do that
1: work as? I'm quite fortunate. Um, in that I have, as I said, I've worked as an artist and a curator and also as, um, as I I call it an educator, I've worked as an artist educator for many years in various different galleries and in various different other kinds of arts spaces. So that's kind of kept me going it's quite exhausting. Mm. Uh, so
0: it's, it's always been fascinating for because I also worked in gallery education mm. for a long time. How do you feel about uh, that bit of an artist's practice being the, the, the financially viable bit versus the bit of actually making the work as being much less, generally speaking, much less financially viable? see,
1: now I don't... It's different, but my relationship to it's changed over, over time. So I probably do less... Um, like gallery education projects but I don't not do them and it depends on my relationship with the gallery so I have I turned down quite a lot of work so probably my more recent ones are very much related to my area of interest at the moment so I did so
0: so are you now at the the level of because you've been doing gallery education projects for want of a better word for such a long time that you're yeah. able to change so if a gallery comes to you with an idea for a project you can say well I'll do something similar to that but actually it's going to f- have to fit with my practice and my yeah
1: because in a sense that's kind of "Baldwin's Nigger Reloaded came through uh, the education department and there was a bit of a vinova of, of but also T- Teresa is a very interesting curator in terms of education because she we have kind of quite similar ideas so that that meant you could kind of broker it, but then you end up doing a takeover that has, like, 550 people in Rivington Place. And mm-hmm. suddenly, you know, it's actually, it's, it's a major art event. And, you know, these people, these people who are being done too, these young people often in the gallery education, they, they are, they're important people, because they are, they, they're people that are going to be making art. Mm-hmm. And they're also people that are going to be consuming it in some, at some point. So I've been I've, I've done certain projects where I've I've you know it's kind of interpretive projects and I've watched kids go completely bonkers in the gallery because they can't see themselves represented and they can't see how this stuff relates to them in any way shape or form. Which is and similar
0: to the experience you had when you were first yeah. learning art. Yeah,
1: and um, and it's upsetting. And what happens is they misbehave because they're they're upset. You know, they're kind of they're upset. They're upset. They're like, why have I got a day out of school? What am I doing? You know. Going back to that experience I me mean, these these a lot of these places are targeting like schools that are failing and they 're the ones that have usually got the most diverse communities in them um, It becomes a bit of a, a problem for me because what why why are you doing that what's what is it that you 're actually doing are you kind of imposing a kind of cultural standard on these kids or are you actually trying to Allow them to kind of find their own voice.
0: So, they, when when you when you're in these circumstances, and you're doing, um, of a approached you or whatever, mm. how do you go about, How do you go about that negotiation with them to kind of so they come with you with an idea that you don't think is particularly mm. either particularly interesting or particularly resonates with your own practice? How do you go about that starting that conversation with them? Well, it's taken years. So it's, it's, kind of a, it's a relationship you build up with them.
1: Yeah, it's taken years for me to, and also it's taken years for people to know. And also, let's be forget, I've got to say, if you're a black artist, you know, a lot of the times you're, put into the, you're putting into the education department or you're putting into the outreach departments. And particularly if you work like me, it's like, oh, it's very easy. Oh, God, yes, she's brilliant. You know, she can work with that old people's group or these kids or whatever. So I've just started challenging that. Probably only over the last sort of five years. And is that is that
0: come out of a boredom with the work, a confidence about your own work, some, somewhere between the two, something else?
1: A two somewhere between the two, a boredom with what I suppose I'm seeing people producing, and also yeah, confidence in my own work and a bit more of a respect for myself mm-hmm. and a bit more of a demand of, on what I can do. So I will turn. I've, I've had someone recently. About a year ago, asked me to tell me that, you know, sort of pamper me, say I was really wonderful, buy me a coffee and a, a you know, mediocre croissant, and said to me, uh, um, Yeah, you're really great, we'd really love you to work on this education programme for this major exhibition in the gallery. Um, it's Sundays, it's every Sunday for 15 weeks working with, like, kids in this area. And I'm like, You're joking, aren't you? I was like, I'm in my forties, you're joking. And 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 I sort of said to them, you know, there are diff- there are other people that are interested in this. I'm not interested in this anymore. Um and it's like you're kind of you kind of know me for something, but you're not really you're not really aware of what I'm doing. So It's almost I'm like really they're responding to
0: they're responding to what it looks like, or what the project looks yeah. like, rather than the process. Oh, they that you were so totally
1: totally responding what, to what the project happened to be. You know, a really rather famous black artist that was you know showing in the gallery. So they 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 thought you know it'd be really good to have a semi-famous black artist <laughs> have another black artist complete yeah. <laughs> the set
0: in you know. So amongst all this time with negotiating with galleries and mm. all the rest of it, what what do you think? What feels like the right kind of ratio between making work and trying to make work happen like what's the kind of mm-hmm. uh, what's what's that ratio the, of, of a what, right what, ratio
1: well
0: <laughs> the, the, well uh, well both actually what's the right what do you think what would what is the ratio just now and what would be a more comfortable or satisfying ratio for you
1: um
0: would it be a hundred percent? Would it be sitting of in the what, studio and making, just making work, in well, not in the studio, but in in a community context or whatever, making the work? No, is that
1: because there's no space then, was there? To, to be there's no there's no space to reflect on what you're doing. I think what I would say is I do think that what would be really good, uh, but people don't recognise is that our, we work damn hard. We work really, really hard. I mean, I in here when you you come in at no I mean, there's lots of people that are virtually living here to make their work happen um and you see and you see it you know kind of we see each other kind of on this, in the corridors and um and I think when I had a studio i probably didn't when I didn't have a studio, I didn't recognize that as much now I feel like having a studio, I recognize it more, and I'm like, yeah, this is our condition, this is how we're working and i um and I think that what I would really like and what I really like about having a studio is this space, is that kind of headspace. Um, I think over the years it's just been filled, it's always filled. There can be weeks where I'm going to sort of, I don't know, Ealing and then up to Birmingham for two days and then, you know, it's exhausting, absolutely exhausting. Uh, once I did count the hours <laughs> I was doing and, um, you know, put a figure on it and I was like, oh, wow. Risk That is really quite terrible, (laughs) how much money... Uh, Oh, I see, okay. Yeah, you're actually earning an hour Mm -hmm. for doing doing a project.
0: Um, That does kind of link into another question that I have about how does money change your experience of your practice? So if you're making a piece of work... Well, uh, I don't know, perhaps you don't make a a piece of work just kind of speculatively, given the kind of practice that you have. Mm. But how does it change... Your motivation or your feeling about a project. If you're starting something or doing something kind of for you, that's part of your own yeah. research and practice, versus a commission or something else where you're being paid for. How 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 does that? Do they feel different? Does it feel a different way if money's in the equation?
1: Yeah, it, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, because my work is very much process, and you know, it is about engagement and, and having kind of dialogue with people there's always ideas happening with yeah but people, but it, but, to but I don't separate it out it's just interesting because I can't figure out how it's um you know I couldn't couldn't say that I have this sort of way of being able to say that this is what I do from 10 to whatever
0: yeah but it, but in terms of like if as an example, if you're working freelance on a commission mm. and there's a deadline to it and there's a certain amount of money attached to it, do you stick within that budget? Do you deliver it on that okay, date those kind rather of- rather than it being kind of a long going process of something that you're doing? Yeah, for I yourself. mean, of, of course, there's that. And, bad. and how, how does that change how you feel about that work? Does it feel more like work, work? Like,
1: um, no, um, yes, and no. I mean, all the commissioners that I've had sort of recently and I've been fundraising for my own stuff, have kind of known my work. So, And I've been in an ongoing conversation with them. So in a sense, it's, it doesn't feel like... I mean, yes, there's money attached when they kind of get the money to make that piece happen. And that's really nice, of course, because, you know, I know I can pay my bills and all of that sort of stuff. There's only a few times, really, that I'm sort of working to brief now it seems it's through a kind of relationship with people who know me, and then I can then I say, well, this is what I want to do, and then we kind of negotiate, developing that, and then the commission might come come in. And I do think about that sometimes. I think, oh, do I should I just apply for some things and just challenge myself differently? Um, but it's working right now, and and I don't have a lot of space to do that really. Um, to sort of sit and apply for things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sort of hoping that I will have more space now because I'm, I'm really strict on people mm-hmm. in terms of my time now. I start, I've i started to kind of learn to, to sort of say, so, you want me to come? How much are you paying me? And that throws people quite a lot, but they do usually come up with something. And I think even if it's a little bit of something, it's probably better than nothing. It's an acknowledgement as yeah. well
0: that your time is worth something. Yeah. And... Uh, you mentioned a couple of times about during, particularly at the early point of your practice was when you had your daughter. Yes. What was the experience of that quite precarious way of living and working alongside having a kid as well? Having a, a, having a well?
1: child. God, you know, because so, i so Were there hard. points when you,
0: caught, when you thought, I can't do this anymore, I need to no, go and get a job? Okay.
1: Not at any point. There might have been times when I might have um, sent emails out to people and said, I really need some work. And I wonder because I, I you know a lot of my friends are now having kids and you know their late thirties and forties and so I have a really different i mean I literally left college with babe under my arm, and first that first year I was in an exhibition you know touring exhibition, so it's kind of like something i didn't it was just it just was there it she just kind of came along, and I'm sure she will tell you. Of how boring it was at times, just like kind of being sat in meetings at the live art development agency, where she actually used to just go off with Lois and teach Lois how to play games on the computer, because it was just so boring, (laughs) you know. So it it was I just didn't I just needed to I needed to bring her quite a lot, and um, I was fortunate I lived in a council flat, so I I wasn't paying like massive rent. Um, My mum didn't live too far away. So even when I was um I had things that happened abroad I could like leave my daughter with my mum and she could still bring her to school and um so yeah so I had that kind of I suppose I had that luck but I also had a community come back to community again mm-hmm. when I had um my daughter um there was a kind of a, a bunch of friends that I became friends with who were all were all creative and we weren't necessarily all artists but we were all doing as kind of a fashion designer a couple two fashion designers and a makeup artist and and uh, we were all starting that freelance thing so we just all used to just look after our kids and i wasn't and maybe being younger I didn't really care about having five you know we would just have five and you know we'd sort it out somehow and they would just kind of learn to to be together um so so it it wasn't really a big issue but I do think motherhood and the whole expectation of motherhood and, um, or fatherhood or the whole family expectation has really changed. Because I have had comments before from people um, what around, kind of thing? well someone very famous said something about having kids before and how you couldn't function doing it and I had a student once saying to me I can't believe that you could, you know I didn't think that women artists had children.
0: Why do you yeah. think that, why do you, where do you think that kind of opinion comes from?
1: Because I think it's really tough. I do think it's really tough. So as a friend of mine who's, um, I mean she is actually old, she's in her late thirties and she's got a little boy. And you know, she's just been taking him everywhere, she's an artist, she's been taking him everywhere. And people are quite stunned by that. They're quite stunned that she can, she's kind of continuing to make work, she's going on residencies, you know. Quite and so I think one there's the, the thing of the, the child actually being with you or in the in the process in the kind of as part of your personality if you're going to your opening or whatever and um, people are like mm, what's that doing here <laughs> you know on that and then secondly I think it's hard because the art world is not so, not, not really a very family friendly sort of space. In terms of
0: sorry, just to dig a little deeper into that, in terms of the working conditions or the the staff, yeah, the the, working
1: conditions. You know, if you're going to work late or um, the money. You know, I sort of, I mean, I I only barely graduated out of squats into (laughs) into a council flat, so you know, it didn't really it didn't really bother me so much. but also now I think there's more demands on parents and schooling things. The, all of that stuff is so much more intense. So I think it does make it very hard to to do that. And I, I, and, um, I don't think I would do it now. I would not do it now.
0: Uh, now as in at, at your age or in... The no, t- even if I was like... I don't think I could do okay. it at
1: 24. Right. I mean, all the young people that I work with and they said, well, so when did you have... Her? And I was, like, I was 24 when I graduated. And I'm like... I couldn't even imagine doing that.
0: I suppose the context in London is so vastly bad. It's so different. different. It's yeah. so
1: different. You know, you can't you'd have to have two incomes. You can't put your child into nursery. You know, it's really difficult. And then And there's no squats and as there's well, no really. Squats mm. and there's no and even and there's no spaces where you could start up even a little commu- you know a little group of you having a nursery even. It's it's really hard. So I think it makes the the that a really difficult situation. And it, it, and it, so it was no surprise when my students sort of said to me, I, I can't see how you can do that. She was just like, that, that's something that if I'm doing this, I know that I'm not going to have in my life.
0: So you have students, so mm. you obviously teach. Mm. Uh, is that an art school as well? You teach at art school?
1: I teach a sort of widening participation programme at Wimbledon. Um,
0: and how does that feed into your practice? Does it? Is it purely financial? Is it something else as well?
1: Um, it doesn't necessarily feed into my practice, but it's something that I actually quite like doing. Mm-hmm. I quite like doing because I'm meeting students of all backgrounds, but, you know, some of them are white middle class and still don't have a, you know, don't have a relationship to, to art really. They're, they, you know, they come from mm. different kinds of families or whatever. And Funnily enough, you know, I stayed with Ruth. I was put in the naughty kids bit with the, you know, the dyslexic ones and the ones that are probably a bit a bit problematic. Um, that seems that, that that you know, I'm often working with those people who I they consider at risk. Um, they're usually from they're usually either LGBTQI students or they're black, Asian minority students, Eastern European, dyslexic. Um, that that's what I'm tending to work with, or dyspraxia, or, you know, or mild autism, or whatever. It's really interesting that I'm I'm doing what Ruth did, but I work with them and I take them on trips, and and I also do a summer school with these students as well, and we do, do turn things really turn things around, give them really good. And just to having said that, I do kind of continue to have they do sort of email me and they do kind of say, oh, can I come a volunteer on a project that you're doing? So I do end up having a relationship with them beyond their first year. Um, But it's really good to see, because I've seen a lot of them turn around and and turn around and actually get firsts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's been uh, amazing, just by having that bit of confidence in in the first year.
0: So it's something that that you find personally quite rewarding? I find
1: personally quite rewarding. So, yeah, I mean, I think often if I think about what, would be really good would be to have a teaching post Mm -hmm. you know it would be really nice to have some sort of foundation money um and do something that i actually really liked not just because i I actually know that i would really like it rather than i'm doing it just for the money i'm doing it because i'd i like it
0: i think that's when i've spoken to other artists who teach as well they all say the same thing really that it's It might have started as kind of like, it would be useful to have the money as something Mm. to go along, but it it tends to always turn into, this is a really important thing for me to do. And and I I enjoy it. And it's important to my kind of working practices and how I I operate as well. I wanted also to talk about kind of the art world in general Mm -hmm. as a kind of general thing that you operate within. Thinking about it structurally. What are you kind of frustrated about with it? What does it do well? What doesn't it do well? Are Mm. are there any kind of just general observations about the art world as a system and how it could work better?
1: Better? I don't know. Oh, gosh. I mean, I did this lecture for for the Wimbledon students on... um, It was about galleries, so it was about gallery systems or kind of different ways to operate. And it was interesting to kind of look at the... You know, from my research, to look at the kind of different... You know, there's different categories and different ways, you know, and there's a private system and, you know, there's the public systems and the, there's um, the independence and, and thinking about, you know, how they were operating and talking about this to students. And at that time, I was really, really involved in um, the supporters, supporters of Innova campaign. And at that point... There was a sort of, with their massive cut, there was a structure that was being put forward, which was basically taking all the creatives out of the organisation and having this structure, which was basically a director, um, a HR person, and an administrator, and the people that would run the library. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, there is a lot of organisations that are going into this kind of admin heavy situation where actually the artists they're the sort of they are the kind of producers of everything but yet actually they're the laughs to be fed and you know there's more people so sort of, you know that business development and all this so there's all this stuff but they're never thinking about the program so this is what was happening at universities: is not thinking about the program so there's one thing that's really bugging me right now is that how do, we, how do we shift out of that? Because the emphasis is on these people that are kind of... And they're in jobs most of the time. I mean, oh God, these organisations must spend so much more money on this administration of, you know, pushing paper around. So, so, yeah, so we're kind of at the end of the food chain, and that does piss me off.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I swore. Yeah, no, no, swearing's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, there, it, it's always struck me as that's kind of a strange way for the art system to work is that without the artists, at least, nothing else happens. Mm. But they're, as I think it's a very good term phrase, they're always the last to get fed. Mm. They're always the last Mm. ones to to make any money out of it. Mm. Um, And the the economics of it are always pushed higher and higher up the food chain. So Mm. there's people at the top making quite a lot, making lots and lots Mm. of money out of it. Uh, and then the the artists further down are making virtually nothing. out
1: Virtually nothing out of it, and you are nothing without it. You know your your organisation is only as good as the the programme. I suppose also there's a lot of campaigning around revealing that. Um, but it, it, revealing that is is one thing, but actually maybe we ought to be looking at also at different ways of of making making our work work. Because if we took the if we took our work away from all these organisations, there'd be screwed. Mm. They really would because they would have no programme and I would be very interested in, um, in art school having a bit more of a relationship with that kind of world because I don't think that they do and the, a lot of them are coming out and going what the hell is this but also having a kind of um, relationship around what artists do do so a lot of artists do go out and do other things as well as being artists and maybe um, having a bit of that in this personal professional development, um, it didn't just load you towards being an artist, but actually it loaded you towards various other things.
0: We actually did a series of videos at ArtQuest um, a couple of years back. It was interviews with five or six people who had gone to art school and then not become artists. Mm. Reflecting on what their art school education had given them mm-hmm. about that, and uh, I mean, ArtQuest is based at university, and we still find it difficult sometimes to get into uh, talking to students about what other possibilities there are. I
1: wonder why that is. I wonder what it is. Is I mean, particularly in this marketisation of uh, of um, degrees and particularly arts degrees, that um, what is it that you're actually really wanting to sell? And I think maybe there is a thing that you sell a fantasy. Of what this thing is, you know, this art thing or this fashion thing or this kind of creative industries thing, and actually, don't actually sell a reality.
0: Because if you if you go to art school and you don't become an artist, there's an idea that you're somehow a failed mm, artist. Mm. But if you go and do a philosophy degree and you don't become a philosopher, no yeah. one would call you a no, philosopher. No one's going to call
1: you. A fa- I mean, I met a guy the other day it was fitting my, you know, fitting windows in my house, and you know, and he picked up a book that I said, no, he goes. It was um, a Paul Gilroy, he's like, oh, I read that, I, I did sociology. It's not a big deal <laughs> yeah. that he's, you know, it's, and, and I think that's the same, I mean, I've been talking to people and musicians and stuff, it's anything like that, you, if you've failed, they, you really, there's a shame about it. And so I wonder if we start kind of injecting something in early that sort of, you know, if you become a mum, uh, loads of mothers start art clubs in their kids' schools or people start, like, painting businesses and, do decorating and you know all of that is part of something so why don't we talk about that? I think that's um a, it's a narrative that I think is missing
0: you know? Do you think you'll be an artist forever? I don't know Yeah probably
1: in some way but I, you know I sort of dream about you know I've got the kids together the sorry feel uncomfortable kids I'm like I say to them I'm just sort of hoping that I'll retire you invite me to you know the odd conference or to you know and then I can sort of I don't know. Weave. <laughs> 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 I can do things like that. <laughs> I can weave. I can have a garden and, and weave. What does retirement look like? For I d- God, I don't think we have retirement, really, <laughs> to be honest. I really don't. And I don't think that, you know, the more I look at people that I kind of admire, the more I think that none of them are retired. They yeah, might have slowed down a bit, but they're not retired, mm. you know even if they're not making stuff. I mean, recently working with um, Horace Ove, who's not, making, not really making films, but, you know, he walks around with a camera all the time. You know, he's in his 70s and he's constantly recording stuff so, um, and constantly wanting to kind of still have a dialogue about his work. So I don't know whether it stops, you know. I think it's a kind of compulsion that if you've got it, It kind of continues.
0: So that's all we have time for, for this programme. And I'd like to thank Barbia Asante for her time and insights into her career. Uh, The Work of Art is brought to you by ArtQuest, a programme of University of the Arts London and Arts Council England, providing everything an artist needs to know. If you've enjoyed this programme, please visit our website at artquest.org.uk to listen to the rest of the series.